0: So uh, what did you do all week? Some of us watched The Office. What, what else did you do? What was the what was the thing that you did most of the time this past week? Unless you were sick, unless you were on vacation, what did you do? Okay. You worked, right? I'm I'm hinting heavily. You worked. <laughs> unless unless you were sick, unless you were on vacation, unless you were doing something unusual, most of us worked. And you probably put in at least 40 hours, maybe more, maybe much more, some of you. Uh, Some of you worked at home, taking care of children and the house. Some of you worked at home, doing stuff for someone else and sending it over email. And some of you worked on your phone, probably. Many of you went to offices and places of work. We spent a lot of our time working. In fact, probably only rivaling with sleep, right, and watching TV, work would be up there in time. Work, uh, for many of us, is a necessity, for most of us. And for some of you, you just have to work so you do. You have to pay your bills, you have to make a living so you work. You may not like it, but you have to do it. There's others in our midst who love working. In fact, you just can't, can't wait to get back to work tomorrow. In fact, some of you will probably put in a couple hours of work tonight just because you're so excited about it and you want to be back to work. Why is it that there's such different attitudes towards work? Some people, you know, they, they don't want to work and they just work because they have to, and others, they just want to work all the time. They just can't stop. You know, you see that in, in professional sports, right? You see people who just can't retire. They, well, they keep retiring, but they keep coming back, right? And it seems like the line is always, I want to spend more time with my, my wife and my children, right? So it's a male athlete. And what happens? After spending time with their children and, and spouse, they realize they'd better be at work, right? They'd rather be back to work. That's where they felt alive. That's where they felt that they were rewarded and fulfilled. And so they say they're going to retire, and they come right back. And then they retire again, and they come right back. We've seen it so many times. And then there's others, other athletes who retire. They leave money on the table and they walk away and they're happy. They go hunting, they, they drive their kids to school and they're happy, they don't seem to miss it all that much. So why is it that some of us love work? We can't get enough of it, right? And others kinda hate it, we would rather not be doing it and every chance we get we, we slack off, right? Why is it that there's two very different attitudes towards work. And I guess the main question would be what is the right attitude? What is the biblical view of work? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We will see that the Bible ascribes tremendous dignity to work. So it's good, work is good. But also that the Bible exposes the danger of work. The biblical view of work is neither too high nor too low. And to maintain this just right attitude towards work, we need to figure out what is the appropriate drive, what is the appropriate desire and motivation behind this kind of approach where work is important but not too important, and not less important than it should be. So that's our outline. We'll talk about the dignity of work, secondly, the danger of work, and lastly, the drive, the appropriate drive for work. So let's read our passage. We're in Ephesians 6. If you'd like to turn there, we're working through the book of Ephesians. We have one more sermon, maybe two if I'll stretch it out, we'll see. But one more for sure next week, and we should be able to finish the book. This is Ephesians 6, verse 5. Bond servants or slaves, same word, obey your earthly masters, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant, or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. That's our passage, talking about slaves and masters, and we'll see how that relates to us today as we think about work. Let's talk about this dignity of work. Paul, first of all, addresses... Slaves, bond servants. He probably has in mind household slaves, those servants who lived with the family, did all the household chores, and uh, were part of the household, part of the family, but certainly had a, a distinction to them. They were slaves. And even though slavery at that time was very different from what we imagined slavery to be, uh, when you think about slavery, you think chattel slavery today, you think about the American South, That's very different from the biblical times. Uh, These slaves had legal rights. Uh, They could purchase back their freedom if they wanted to. Uh, There was certain protection uh, afforded to them by law and by their masters. But at the same time, it still was slavery. They still belonged to someone else. And someone else could do pretty much anything they wanted to them. They had to work for that person and obey them. Paul is neither condemning or condoning slavery here. I want you to, to see this that Paul is not addressing the institution of slavery. There's no moral judgment here. He's simply talking to Christians. Some of them are slaves and some of them are masters. Some of them have to obey somebody and somebody has to order somebody around. So he's talking to Christians and he says, How does the gospel apply to you? Whether you're a slave, or a free person, whether you're a master and you have stuff, and you have people in your possession, or you don't. How does the gospel apply to you? And so by addressing slaves specifically, Paul is ascribing tremendous value to their work as slaves. Even though he's not talking about the institution, but he's saying you are in this position, you are a slave, you're a bondservant, and it matters how you live your life. Do You know how shocking it was, for a first century person to read this passage. No ancient moral writer ever addressed slaves in their writings. They addressed masters for sure. If you wanted slaves to behave a certain way, you talk to their masters, make them behave a certain way. But you wouldn't address slaves. Seneca, Seneca was a he is a famous Roman philosopher, a contemporary of Paul's. And Seneca said that you should treat your slaves as your enemies. That's the appropriate understanding of slavery in Seneca's mind, in the Roman world. You should treat them as enemies. And here comes Paul, and he addresses these enemies, he addresses these slaves as ethically responsible people. And he tells them that they need to take responsibility for their life, for their work, even though it is unfair, and it is cruel, and it's hard. You see, the gospel ascribes dignity to work, even if it's a slave's work. The gospel still speaks to that. It's not a situation where we would say, well, you need to change your circumstances and then you can apply the gospel. No. The gospel comes in at the very bottom level of society, and the gospel speaks to slaves and free people. And there is a difference that the gospel makes in the life of a slave. There's dignity to work, even if it's hard work under cruel conditions and unfair compensation. According to Scripture, any work is meaningful. Any work is important, no matter how lowly it appears to be. See, the Gospel elevates work. And the way the Gospel does it is by connecting this work to God Himself. Paul says that by obeying our superiors, our bosses, at work, we're obeying Christ. Now, everything is different, right, if you look at it this way. If you're only thinking about obeying your boss and doing what they think you should do so that it appears as if you are doing a good job, that's very different from obeying somebody who knows exactly what you're doing all the time, will reward you fairly for anything that you've done, and knows your heart behind your work. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, yes, you have earthly masters. You have people over you in authority, whatever that may be in your office, your boss, whoever has your manager, your supervisor, whoever has any authority over you. He's saying those are earthly masters. But you obey earthly masters for the sake of obeying your heavenly master. And while your earthly master may not notice how well you do your job, and they may not compliment you, they may not praise you, they may not reward you, Christ sees everything that you do. And he will reward you for anything good that you've done at your job. You see, if you're only trying to please an earthly master, what do we do usually? We wait for them to show up, right? When they're passing through and you're working, all of a sudden you you kick into a different gear, right? And it seems like you're super busy. You, you, You didn't even take lunch. You're just working so hard to to please them. And you want them to see that, right? And as soon as they're gone, what happens? You go on break, right? You check your phone, go on Facebook. If you're only trying to please an earthly master, you will only do it when they're watching. But if there's another master, if there's somebody who sees you all the time, during your breaks, during the times when you get distracted, during the times of high productivity, it's different, isn't it? Your perception changes when you realize you're not just working for this human person, but you're also working for God himself. If your boss doesn't see you, Christ still does. If your boss will not reward you, Christ will. And no matter your circumstances, fair or unfair, hard or easy, whatever your position on the totem pole is, In the hierarchy or the company that you work for, you are to work with a sincere heart, with a good will. This is this is a radically different perspective, especially for a slave. Paul is saying it matters what you do all the time, and it matters how you do it. It matters the kind of emotions you bring into it, the kind of motivations, the kind of ambition you have, all of that matters, Paul says. Why? Because you're not really working for your boss. You're working for Christ himself. Work is important because it is important to Christ. As you think about your job, yes, it's important because you have to pay your bills. Yes, it's important because that's how you provide for your family. Yes, it's important because you want to be a good testimony at at your job. It's important because you do want to please your superiors most of the time. That's all fine. But the most important thing about work the thing that gives dignity to your job, is Christ. He is watching you. He is pleased with your good work. He notices. He praises you. And any job, it doesn't matter what it is, any job is meaningful because of Christ. See, work is part of your discipleship. It's part of following Jesus. Oh, we separate those two, don't we? We say there's this world, there's the secular world of work where you go and you do your job. And if you're a Christian, sure, you need to be honest, right? We emphasize those kind of values. You need to have integrity. You need to put in a good, honest day of work. But we don't bring in discipleship. This other religious thing we do, right? When we read your Bible in the morning, when you come to church, when you serve others, we don't bring it into work. Why? It's all one life, isn't it? You are to be a disciple of Christ at work, as much as you are to be a disciple of Christ at church. Same Christ, isn't it? Same master who sees you at church, and he sees you in your office. And if we see it this way, if we see work, our work in life, whatever your accomplishments and ambitions are in your career, whether it be at home or outside of the home, whatever that is, if you see it in light of your discipleship, that changes everything. So you go to work and you say, I'm going to follow Christ at work. And then all of a sudden, everything matters. Everything you do at work matters. It's part of following Christ. Because you are his slave more than you are a slave of any boss you have. So whatever work you do, sales maybe, retail or management or food industry or banking or cleaning or construction taking care of children at home, doing dishes and laundry, writing, teaching, whatever it is, all of that matters. And all of that matters to Christ. There is an inherent meaning in our work. And you should take pride in your work and in doing it well. You're not just working for a paycheck. You're working for Christ. There's nothing lowly or embarrassing about any work. We have to get away from the way the world classifies and hierarchs. That's not a word. Put things in hierarchy. We can't, we can't do that. There's, there's no biblical basis to say one job is more important than the other. Any job is important, any work is important, and any work is meaningful. And there's nothing to be embarrassed about. There's nothing that you should feel bad about if you're working a job that the world considers to be lowly. Because Christ doesn't. And if you are working for Him, essentially, that's who you're working for. And He says it's okay. And He notices how well you do that job. Then that's fine. It should be enough for us. So you work for the Lord Himself. And you do any work then he gives you and you do it happily. You do it wholeheartedly. You do it sincerely. There's a French monk who lived in the seventeenth century in France, coincidentally. His name was Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence has not written very much. In fact, there are some recorded conversations he had with people, there's several letters left. But his his influence is pretty great in the history of the church. Um, because, mostly because of this one thing. He, he realized and experienced and taught that we can feel the presence of God and live in God's presence in whatever situation you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If work, church, Bible reading, devotional things, uh, cleaning the kitchen, whatever you're doing, you can be in the presence of God then. And always. And he tried to live it out. And so he thought that any work is meaningful. It doesn't matter what you do, because if you are in the presence of God, which is what Paul is talking about, Christ knows, Christ rewards you, Christ is there, right? And if we are seeing ourselves as being in the presence of God, and noticing Him, and talking with Him, and bringing Him into our work situation, then anything you do is meaningful. Now, Brother Lawrence didn't think that we needed to accomplish anything particularly great, but that it mattered how we approached even the smallest, most insignificant activity. This is what he said. Now, he, he worked in the kitchen in the monastery, and he, by his own admission, was a clumsy person. He did not enjoy doing those kind of things. He had a hard time getting things right. Whenever they would send him for you know, an errand, he had to go to another town. That was a the big stressful thing for him because he knew he was going to mess it up and buy the wrong thing and pay the wrong amount. And yet, he felt that God placed him there. and This was God's assignment for him. And he tried to do it in the presence of God, realizing the meaning of what he was doing. So this is what, what he says. He says, Nor is it needful that we should have great things to do. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of Him. And that done, if there's nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself in worship, before him, who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. Now, as you read something like that, or you hear somebody talk like that, and some of you talk like that about your jobs, uh, at least with me, and, and when you hear somebody say that, you realize just how happy and content that person is in God himself. And so no matter what happens, no matter what you're doing, with Brother Lawrence, we can say that it is enough for us. It is sufficiently happy for us to pick up but a straw from the ground if you are doing that for the love of God. If that is your motivation, if that's what drives you, imagine that. You see Christ right there with you. And whatever you're doing, you're doing it with him and you're doing it for him. Then it doesn't matter what kind of work you do, right? Right? I mean, it matters based on your gifts and what God gives you, but it doesn't matter based on the prestige or respect or accomplishments that particular job can afford to you. Now, that's the dignity of work. So the Gospel elevates work. It says any work is important because you're doing it for Christ. Now, what are the dangers of work? Well, one danger that we've kind of alluded to already is that you can have a too low perception of work, and you can just feel bad about yourself and despise yourself for doing something that you think is too lowly. The gospel comes in and says there's nothing too lowly, nothing too embarrassing. So it elevates work. The other danger is just the opposite of that. It's not that you can only you can think that work is less important than it is. You can also think it's too important than it is. So the other danger would be to say that that we need to take work more seriously than we should. We exalt it above what it actually is, and we have too high of an opinion of ourselves because of our kind of work and our kinds of accomplishments at work. So you can think of work as it's too low, but you can think of it as too high. You can think that you are an important person because your work is important. You can think that you deserve a special kind of respect because of the kind of job that you have. You can look at yourself and say, look what I've accomplished. Doesn't that make me better? Doesn't that change who I am? Shouldn't other people notice? Shouldn't other people pay homage to me because of what I've accomplished? That's the danger. You put so much importance on work that it changes you. And you're taking it way too seriously. And this is how Paul addresses this kind of danger. So after the shock of addressing the slaves, right, he's now addressing the masters. And he's addressing the masters in a no less... Shocking way. He says, masters, do the same to them. This is where we need to stop. The same what? He's saying, you need to treat work the same way slaves treat work. That's a crazy idea, isn't it? Slaves, We're not supposed to be listening to slaves. We need to threaten them and manipulate them and, and if, it, it hurt them if we need to so they can do their job. That's the master's perspective in the Roman world. And Paul turns around and says, no, no, you Christian masters, you do the same as the slaves. You have the same idea of work as slaves do. You have the same attitude because you have the same master. This is what Paul says. says masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Paul is saying is that Slaves and masters, if they're Christians, have an essentially same attitude towards work. They're both groups are working for Christ, who is their master in heaven. And even though one group has an earthly master and the other doesn't, they have the same heavenly master and they are to submit to him. There's an essential equality between the slaves and the masters because Christ is the Lord of both groups. One of the most surprising things about the early church was that if you would go to a church, first, second century Christians, if you would go into their congregation and you would participate in worship, you would see slaves and masters drinking from the same communion cup. Scandalous anywhere else in, the, in Roman and Greek societies. But in the church, accepted, appropriate. Why? They're both coming and they're submitting to the lordship of Christ. And even though they're going to go back, and some of them are going to go back to the same household, well, one will humble themselves, and the other one will exalt themselves. Yet, when they come to church and they go before Christ, they take the same cup and drink the same wine, because Christ has died for both of them. That's, that's incredibly shocking. Now, things that I think for us today, we may have come with, grown accustomed to, You have to put yourself in the early Christian world and see just how different those things were. Just how different it was for Paul to address the slaves and say, you are ethically responsible people and you need to work the way Christ wants you to work. And then turn around to the masters and say, you need to have the same attitude as your slaves. Incredible. And so masters who typically would make too much of their position, too much of their work, too much of their accomplishments, are now brought low. So if the gospel elevates work, right, it also brings it down. And so you need to find that right balance in the gospel, where work is not too important, but it's not any less important than it should be. Now for us, the temptation today is, if you are in charge of others, if you are a business owner, if you are a manager, a supervisor, if you are in any position of influence and authority over others, or even if you work a job that is considered by others as better, more prestigious, more respectable, the temptation for us is to think that because of that, I am more important than others, that I have more value than others, and I deserve more respect than others. We tend to associate our worth as people with our position or accomplishments at work. And if you do that, which is a natural tendency of the human heart. If you do that, you will inevitably look down on others. If you think that you are better because you have accomplished more, what are you gonna think about a person who has accomplished less than you? You're gonna think they're less important. You're gonna think that they deserve less respect. You're gonna think that you can look down on them and you can not threaten them like a first century slave owner and you can abuse them and manipulate them and do whatever you want with them because they're not as important. They don't have the same worth as you because they have not achieved as much as you have. They have not gotten a better job. They have not gotten more education. They have not earned rewards in their place of work. And so you will inevitably look down on them. And what a destructive and dangerous way of thinking. And that's, what, that's exactly what made those masters threaten and beat their slaves. Exactly that. They didn't think the slaves were any worthy of respect that they would afford to to another slave owner. They really thought they were better. Now, mind you, in the Roman world, slavery was not racial. That happened later in other places. In the Roman world, you didn't have to be a different ethnicity to be a slave. So that idea that somebody is doesn't deserve as much respect as you, was not based on racial terms. Now that's a whole other problem. Here the problem we have is that you simply think you're better because you have more things, because you have more money, because you've accomplished more, because you feel that you deserve more respect because of what you've done, your accomplishments. Now that's first century, right? Does it apply to us? Yeah, of course it does. Don't you look down on people? Don't you look at somebody and say they don't deserve as much respect as I do because of what I've accomplished? Don't you ignore those who have a lower station in life than you have? If you work in an office, for example, do you show respect to the cleaning staff when they come in? And they're very quiet usually, right? They kind of go about their business, try to get things done and do it well. you even say hello to them? And if you don't, if it's like they don't exist, absolutely you think you're better because you work in the office and they come and clean your office. How about if you're a business owner or or a manager that has a lot of influence over hiring and firing people and giving them bonuses, giving them enough hours to work, do you threaten them? Do you manipulate them? Do you get them to do what you want them to do? Not treating them as equals because they depend on you? Because you can fire them, and there's nothing they can do. You can cut their hours, and you know that that's going to affect their families. How seriously do you take those positions of authority if you are in one? How about people who are in welfare? If you work, you have a full-time job, right? You pay your taxes. How do you feel about people who are in welfare and don't or can't work? Do you look down on them? If you do, you absolutely feel superior and you absolutely feel better because they don't have a job when you do. So you judge people's worth, human worth, based on accomplishments. You don't think there's inherent equality. You think equality is achieved through accomplishments. Why don't you get a job? And if you get a job and you do as well as I am, then I'll have a time of day for you. But no, if you don't, I don't have time. And as I'm speaking, all these things are in my heart because there's a natural, sinful, human tendency. Let me throw one more at you that is often discussed at church. What if you're a mom or a dad who stays at home and takes care of children? Do you look down on those who work and don't stay home? Or vice versa? What if you're a working mom? do you look down on those who stay home and take care of the children? If that's in your heart, you're just you you're judging people based on their accomplishments and based on their choices and based on their workstations. That, that's how you see the world. And that is very common. and all of us, struggle with that. So do you see how having a too high of a view of work, when you take it too seriously, when accomplishments accomplishments matter too much, will inevitably make you proud and resentful and disrespectful? Okay, so let's say we want to avoid that. We also want to avoid taking work less seriously than we should thinking too little of work and despising ourselves, or thinking too much of work and despising others. So how do we work well and with the right attitude and motivation? How do we treat others right, whether they are slaves or their masters? What is the proper drive behind the right way to work? Now, everything I've just told you sounds great, I think. It should sound great to you, because our culture is in absolute agreement with that, by the way. You hear words like equality and dignity all the time, human rights, all the time. Being inclusive, and being tolerant. Those are all the things that we've just talked about. But it's not enough for me to tell you you need to do that. Have you walk away and then try to do it because it won't work. And it doesn't work in human society by and large. It doesn't. It's not enough just to know. It's not enough just to understand that those values are important, that we are to pursue them. Let me give you an example. You might know that I grew up in Ukraine until I was 13 years old. Ukraine was a Soviet republic. So I was brought up uh, in the Soviet educational system, was, uh, was, was taught kind of the regular ideological things of, of the Soviet educational system. And would you believe that the values I was taught in school were very much the values I just taught you from the Bible? Would you believe that I grew up learning these things? Equality of people, dignity, respect of others. That's what they taught me. That's what everybody learned in the Soviet Union. That was in every book. It's very clear that we are to respect others, that it doesn't matter what job you do, that a janitor is just as important and just as dignified and valued in society as as an elite party official, communist party, not like a party planner, but communist party official. We were taught it's the same. We were taught that there's inherent dignity in work. I was taught a lot about work when I was growing up, given that we were a peasant worker state, Work was a big deal. Talked a lot about labor. Celebrated labor. And yet, with all of that, being taught and growing up in that culture and, and being clearly taught these values, these biblical values. And by the way, for some of you, you know this is a time when you cringe, right? Because the commies got that right. That's what I'm saying. The communists got this part right. And as I was growing up in it, it seemed right. It felt right. And yet, it didn't work. As I was getting older, I realized, wait a second. Janitors are not treated with as much respect as the elite party leaders. Engineers seem to despise janitors. It it seems that the peasants can't leave their villages because nobody will give them a passport. They have to stay where they are. Why? They don't want them in the city. They don't like them. It seemed that there were certain professions that were well-respected and there's others that weren't and it seemed like even though we talked about this classless society as i was growing up there's no classes everybody's equal yet it seemed like some people were more equal than others as the saying went everybody's equal but some people are more equal than others somehow some people have certain perks in their jobs that nobody else had and if every job is the same if if you if you're doing the same good for your society for your community Why is it that some jobs are more honored than others and more compensated than others? Why is that? And I started seeing that growing up. I started seeing the inequality and how some jobs were not considered to be dignified. And then as I grew up more and more and realized that that's not at all how the Soviet society worked. In fact, lots of people had no incentive to work well, so they didn't. They would just slack off at work. Nobody would fire them because everybody's supposed to work. Lots of people stole from their work. It was a big deal when I was growing up. It was accepted. You had a factory job, and they made wheelbarrows. You come home with a wheelbarrow. That was, in the mind of the worker, that was part of your pay. Not in the mind of the factory officers, but you would just take stuff. As as people people just try to find the best situation to, to enrich themselves, to, to prop themselves up so that others would respect them. That's how it really worked. I remember as a, as a young kid, I would take bus number three. This is too much of of the Ukrainian Kiev geography and bus routes, for it. but if you're ever in Kiev and if you want to cross the river, you would take bus number three, and it would take you across this this huge bridge. And Kiev is a beautiful city. It's hilly, not like here. And so. So you would take this bus number three and on your left, go into my grandma's house, I would see it's kind of far off a little bit, it's on a hill it's it's covered with trees it's it's picturesque and it's beautiful, and, and it, it looked like a medical building. And I would ask my mom what is that?" and she would say oh it's it's, it's a medical facility." And I'm like, well, we never go there. Are we go to this other one that's just just a mile away from that one?" And Mom would say, "Oh, that's not for us this is This is reserved." for for the Communist Party leaders. That's where they go to get treated. That's their special place, where they have special doctors, better doctors, where they have better equipment. And that's when I start picking up, wait a second. But, But if they're not qualitatively better than I am, why do they get a special clinic and I don't? Why is that? You see, it's not enough to simply educate people about this. That was the, I think that was the biggest mistake of, of the communist state. Is they thought that if they could only teach people, if everybody would just learn these values, then everybody would do it. Guess what? Nobody does it. They, they, they fail to see and recognize that there is, there is this, this tendency in every human heart to elevate themselves and to treat others poorly. And no matter how much you hear about dignity and equality and respect, your heart is not changed through education. Now I'm giving you a little bit more of of contemporary cultural analysis, aren't I? Don't you hear politicians talk about today? If If we just teach them better, man, if we just put more money into our schools, train better teachers, if we put up posters against bullying, if we do all these things, then then our society will be different. Guess what? It doesn't seem to be any different. We've been doing it for a while. It doesn't seem like it's changing on this basic human level. We still disrespect others. We still look down on others that we don't think have accomplished as much as we have. There's still classes in this society. You see, education can't do that. Education is a good thing. It can do a lot of good things. But education cannot change human hearts. And human hearts are wired by sin. Everybody's sinful. Everybody's heart is wired against these values. So no matter how well you explain it and how much you teach about it, you can't change people's hearts. So what can? Education can do it. Is there something that can move us to work with all our hearts, no matter what the job is? Is there something that can enable us to treat others with dignity, and respect? Yes. I think there is. And I think I've seen it work in the church. Martin Luther knew something about that. Martin Luther was was a Reformation leader in Germany in the 1500s, and he wrote, A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to no one. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, Subject to all. What a paradox. Luther is saying, if you are a Christian, you can be the Lord of all, free from all of that. Free from the world's perception of how well you do and that's what you're worth. You you can feel like you're a ruler of all and you are not subject to anyone. And yet at the same time, you can act as their servant and serve everybody in your life and feel okay about it, and don't feel the lowliness and the humility. It's amazing that Luther would say that. Why would he say that? Because he knew something about this power, this drive that makes us like this, that makes us different, and it's not education, it's something else. That's what we call the grace of God. The grace of God. Remember when Paul said that there's no partiality with Christ? He seems to root this whole instruction of, how to behave at work, In the fact that Christ has no partiality, no favoritism, he doesn't judge you based on your accomplishments. And if we get that, which is grace, that changes how we work, this is how it works. Let's say you have, you have a too low of opinion of work. Well, if you understand that Jesus loves you by grace, that he loves you in spite of what you think of yourself and how well you've done at your job, and how prestigious a job you've gotten, if you realize that it doesn't matter how lowly you are in life, Jesus loves you, you will be okay with whatever job you do. And you would feel the dignity of what he has given you to do. If you have a too high of a view of work, and you realize that Jesus loves you not because of your accomplishments, that he's not looking at you and he's saying, well, he's accomplished so much, now I have to love him. Or I have to give him something, I have to reward him. That's not how Jesus sees you. If he sees you based on grace, meaning that you don't earn anything with Jesus, but he loves you anyway, then why would you look down on anyone else? All the same. We're all the same. That's where that equality comes in. You say we're all equal under the grace of God. Now think about Jesus, creator of everything visible and invisible, which is not even arguably, that's the best job, right? And he's the best at it. Created everything, visible and invisible, and did really well with it. This accomplished person, God and man, comes into our world, and what does he do? He assumes a position of a slave. Doesn't Scripture tell us that he became a servant for us? He became a slave for us? And he wasn't just threatened, right? He was killed. He was hurt. He was murdered. Why? In spite of all his accomplishments, what he got was a lowly, shameful death on the cross. Why? So he could extend grace to you. So that your accomplishments do not seem as important anymore. And so that your failures don't bring you down so low anymore. Jesus came and he says, I need to save these sinners. And the way I will save them, I will accomplish much more than they could ever do. And then I will give it all away and die for them and pay for their sins on the cross. Do you feel valued when you think about those kind of things? That's what's going to give you dignity at work. When you feel that no matter how well I do, no matter what lowly job I'm going to take, Jesus loves me. There's one passage in Scripture talks about the apostles arguing with each other and they're coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, would you do, do us this favor? I want to be at your right hand and my, my friend here wants to be at your left hand. So let's just settle it right now. Who's going to be the most important person in the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, He says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. That's what Luther was talking about. That's what Paul is talking about. The equality of work. And that's where it's all rooted. Jesus says, Even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How can we treat others well? How can we not attribute too much importance to work and yet not too little importance to work? You look at the cross and you see that the master of all became a servant of all and gave his life as a ransom for you. That means you're tremendously valued. And that also means that anything you have, any value you have is given to you by grace. He didn't deserve any of that. He didn't earn any of that. He didn't accomplish anything for yourself. If you get this, which is the gospel, which is the grace of God, if you get this, and if it matters to you, and if it drives you, then you can work well. Because it's not about our work, but it's about his work on the cross and in the empty tomb.